You are listening to the Plain Label Podcast, Rewind. Hello and welcome back to the Plain Label Podcast. I am your host, Eric Williams, and today we are discussing the next two films in the Pirates of the Caribbean series, Dead Man's Chest and At World's End. Here to discuss these films with me once again is returning guest, Mr. Sean Stangland. Yo ho ho, mateys. Before getting into our discussion, I would like to mention that this podcast is brought to you by the Deliberate Noise Network. Head over to deliberatenoise.com and check out some of the other shows that are over there. Uh, Mr. Stangland, what are you doing, uh, what are you doing drink wise for me this evening? Uh, I'm having a lovely can of dry ginger ale. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, is that two for two now? Is that, I think, I think I, we're on a roll. Uh, oh yeah, you gotta love it. You know, I'm, <laughs> I, I guess I'm cutting back in these post holiday times. Mm-hmm. That's smart. Um, I am, I'm, I'm trying to be a little bit more festive. I felt bad about not going with the old, uh, just the spiced rum last time. So <laughs> I am pulling out the Bacardi white rum and I am mixing it with a little diet cherry Pepsi that I stole from my daughter. <laughs> uh, so it's like a treat every once in a while for her to have soda. And I took about half of it. Uh, she doesn't know that though because she's sleeping. So anyway, that's, that's what I'm having. Uh, I took a drink of it right before we recorded and that's why I started coughing. So I am not used to <laughs> rum. I am definitely not used to soda. And that is where we're at on that. So let's go ahead and, and uh, kick off our discussion. And we're going to start out in 2006 with the first of these two films that fit very closely together. It is Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. What is it that has Jack spooked? How much do you know about Davy Charles? You owe me your soul. And it's time to pay up. <laughs> if there was anything could be done. Well, there is a chest. The dead man's chest. To find it, you must sail to the end of the earth and beyond. We have our heading. You know, these clothes do not flatter you at all. It should be a dress or nothing. I happen to have no dress in my cabin. We're looking for this. The chest of Davy Jones. What is in the chest? when you have the chance to do the right thing. I love those moments. I like to wave at them as they pass by. Hmm. 
and the IMDb plot synopsis goes like this. Once again, we're plunged into the world of sword fights and savvy pirates. Captain Jack Sparrow is reminded he owes a debt to Davy Jones, who captains the Flying Dutchman, a ghostly ship with a crew from hell. Facing the locker, Jack must find the heart of Davy Jones, but to save himself, he must get the help of quick-witted Will Turner and Elizabeth Swan. If that's not complicated enough, Will and Elizabeth are sentenced <laughs> to hang unless we can get Lord Cutler Beckett Jack's compass. Will is forced to join another crazy adventure with Jack. <laughs> they kind of ran out of steam there on that on that synopsis. <laughs> uh, so this is Dead Man's Chest. This is the, um, you know, we talked a little bit last time about, well, why are they making this movie? And it's a Disneyland attraction. What's the point of this? This is the this is the sequel to the very successful first film. Uh, I believe a little birdie told me that you quite enjoy this one. Is that right, Mister Sangland? Uh, this is my favorite of the five movies. Mm, and man, tell me, tell me about be, it. Uh, what's that? <laughs> I said, tell me why. Tell me about it here. Well, I think for one, it's the best looking of the five, and that's no small thing when you're talking about these large blockbuster movies, just how nice it is to look at, and it is certainly nice to look at. It's the, It has the best action scenes of the five, and I think I just, this one just kind of has this completely gonzo groove to it that, to follow up that first movie with a movie that really <laughs> kind of, I mean, if, it makes no sense, this movie. <laughs> and I guess I kind of admire how much it doesn't make sense mm. to, to just kind of follow up that first movie with something so out there. And so, uh, well, this kind of applies to the third one too, but I, there's just something about this movie. I know when it came out, it got a lot of one star reviews. It got a lot of head scratching. It was greeted with a lot of how, how, you mean we have to sit through another one of these? And uh, I loved it. I love pretty much every moment of this one. <laughs> so you kind of admire the fact that it seems like sometimes in sequels, they'll try to do uh, basically the same thing with just amping it up just a tiny bit. Right. And here it they do take a little bit of a different tact to where it is kind of crazy at points, like you were saying. Yeah, they, it expands the world of the of the franchise. Um, it doesn't it, it doesn't hesitate to introduce all these strange things. Like right off the bat, we meet Bootstrap Bill, and he's covered in like you know maggots and shit. Yeah. <laughs> like it, the first one had this supernatural element to it that um, that I guess it didn't seem like it went too far. Like we can under the the construction of the curse there we can understand mm-hmm. and so they, they turn into skeletons but this this just this whole flying Dutchman thing it just introduces this whole other <laughs> more complicated and more outlandish layer that I just really enjoy mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it, it is uh, it does have a lot of crazy elements this is uh, this is probably probably one of the longer ones too is that right well yeah, are the, they the all about the same. Yeah, the second and third one are very long. This is they're they're both like two forty, <laughs> which you know you gotta love Jerry Bruckheimer insisting that the moviegoer get their money's worth. But you know these movies very much contributed to the climate that gave us every movie being two and a half hours long. <laughs> That's right. Uh, one of the first things that I wrote down here 
It was just kind of, I guess the way that I, how do I want to say this? So I guess the way that I looked at Captain Jack in the first movie was that normally things are kind, like normally he's mostly in charge of things, I guess. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) here he's, he just kind of like runs around and gets lucky a lot. Yes. It's kind of what I felt like. And, and I was, and I was kind of like, well, I don't know. Do I love that? Do I not love that? I mean, does that really make a difference? And then today I was watching with, um, my nine year old a movie that we at least are planning at this moment to talk about at a later date. Uh, I was watching Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom Mm. and I'm watching that and I'm like, hmm, Indiana Jones sure is running around getting lucky a lot. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, is this just, this is just a thing. Like, this is just a thing, I guess. Like, <laughs> because there's, you know, and it's more so in this particular film, because in this one, there's a few times, but not very often does it seem that, that, uh, Captain Jack is, is, uh, really knows what he's doing. He's just kind of falling his way into safety. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's not like, oh, he's such a good blank that he's able to rely <laughs> upon that, you know? And so that, I thought that that was, I wrote down that that was fun, but it was like accentuated so much in this film to where I could see how some people may not like it as much because they're kind of, he's, he is kind of like bouncing around a little bit. Well, it, it reminds me of this thing that people have said about both Raiders of the Lost Ark and Goldfinger mm. where, um, you could play out those movies, the entire plot of those movies without Indiana Jones and James Bond, and they would still end up in the same place, huh. which I don't know if I agree with that a hundred percent, but it's interesting. To, it's an interesting thing to think about that, you know, James Bond doesn't really matter that much to the outcome of Goldfinger and that the Nazis got, you know, bring the Ark where they were, you know, they, the Nazis would have been fried by the Ark no matter what hmm. in Raiders of the Lost Ark. That is interesting. Um, so there's an element of that here. Um, and I do remember at the time, particularly with Dead Man's Chest and At World's End, that there were complaints that Jack Sparrow needs to be more of the central figure in these movies because really it's not his story. Yeah. I, I asked you last time who you think the protagonist of the movie is, and I think it's pretty clear who the protagonist is after the, after these two. It's Elizabeth Swan. So <laughs> there we go. Yes. It's her story. So it is weird. You know, Jack, Jack Sparrow is this kind of weird center of the storm, even though it's not really his story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I enjoy that. I enjoy how <laughs> just the depth of all this. And people would say depth. It's a, it's the stupid pirate movie, but there is a lot going on here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and some of the things that I think I think part of what I like about it, and I did like this movie. Uh, I liked this one considerably more than our other one that we'll talk about. Mm. Um, I I really did enjoy this, and I think what I like about it is I think that they do have so much going on to where some of the things, some of the sequences land and are really successful. And then some of the ones are, you're kind of like, well, that wasn't, I don't know if I loved that so much, but it's, <laughs> but it's, it's there and gone quick enough to where it doesn't kind of drag everything down. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like a it's not like a major part of the movie doesn't work or something. It's just like, oh, this this bit here, and then there's this bit and whatever. And if one of those things doesn't work for you, that's okay because it's not going to be on the screen that long. And one of the things that I thought when I first saw it, I was like, oh, this is I'm really enjoying this. I really liked the um they go to the island and they find Johnny Depp and he's um looking like he's the chief and all of that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, right? And and we get the double cross there about how he's really going to be the one that's sacrificed and eaten or whatever. And I liked that whole bit. And then after a while, it's like, ooh, okay, this is going on. Like, this is still going on. Like, I'm, <laughs> like it's still going. <laughs> and so that was some of the time where I, I felt the length of the movie just a little bit. And it was kind of like, okay, we got, you know, now they're running on the beach and there goes the dog. And now we got this and... It just seemed like they were in that location for a long time. When mm-hmm. watching the film, I knew that okay, this, this this is not like the central plot of the film. This is just kind of like a little diversion. And man, we're spending a lot of time and money on this section. And that like. may be going back to, to what I was saying about Bruckheimer wanting to make sure he gets his money's worth, too. If you watch... These, these both, both of these are great still on Blu-ray. Two of the best Blu-rays you can buy. Mm. Um, not only for picture quality, but for the sheer amount of documentary footage that they have on them. The, the shooting of that whole sequence on the Cannibal Island, mm-hmm. it, if you watch on the Blu-ray, it, it, it had to be one of the most difficult shoots in the history of movie making. Just the, cause they, they went to a real location that was not accessible to the film crew at all. So they had to put all this infrastructure in place just to get the equipment there. Ah. And so at some point you're like, how is this worth it? And then this movie made over a billion dollars. So it justifies, you know, for Jerry Bruckheimer, he's like, see, this is what happens when you show people something they haven't seen before. Um, now, I don't know if that sequence had anything to do with the movie making a billion dollars, mm-hmm. but uh, – I know that that's that sequence and the the later island sequence with the the spinning water wheel. Uh-huh. To me, those are the two highlights of the film because they're they do things I haven't seen before. Uh-huh. There's a lot of there's a lot of things in this movie that I kind of seem like they should only work in a cartoon. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. And and they pull it off here, and it all looks great. It all makes sense to me, like within the the logic of this world that they have created. And that's the stuff that's interesting. Now, when you have that long extended sequence on a ship where they're being attacked by the Kraken for the 14th time, (laughs) that's when the movie, that's when it gets a little long. That's when it gets long in the tooth for me. It's like, well, we've seen all this kind of stuff before. This movie is, is at its best when it's stuff I haven't seen in a movie before. And the whole Cannibal Island sequence is really just colorful and exciting and for me has a lot of different beats for the whole cast, not just for Johnny Depp. It has little stuff for all the crew members like Marty and Cotton and all those guys. Uh-huh. And um and the the that whole sequence is like the payoff of half of a joke that we hear in the first movie, which is the really amazing part. There's a part in the first movie where he's talking to those two morons who are like gar- guarding the darkness oh, right. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he goes, we, we cut halfway through this conversation and Jack Sparrow goes, and then they made me their chief. 
Uh. <laughs> and it's like, well, let's do a whole sequence about that's kind of about that one line. And here you go. And it turns into like a 25-minute sequence of the movie. <laughs> I guess I completely forgot. Well, I guess there's no reason for me to have remembered that, right? As if it's just a little throwaway. There's there's a lot of little throwaway stuff in the first movie that ends up turning into entire, you know, departures in the in the other movies. Like they kind of look through. Well, what did Jack say? Let's look at everything Jack Jack said, or you know, let's look at everything that Johnny Depp may have come up with on the set in the first movie, and how can we put that to use in the later movies? So, what uh, I love that stuff. Yeah, sure. <laughs> what so besides the Kraken thing, is there anything else that doesn't quite work as well as you think it could have, or you wished it would have? Well, I mean, they get too long in the tooth with over-explaining all of this stuff. Oh. The exposition and the double crosses get to be a bit much, but then that kind of ends up being the the movie's thing. Like, yes, we're going to over-explain and you're you're still not going to get it. There's going to be all these double crosses <laughs> and you don't know who's on whose side. But after a while, that kind of becomes the part of the joke. Mm. Um, you know, all of these movies could lose 20 minutes, mm-hmm. if not 30. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I was going to say one of the things that I, again, really sort of hmm, – I really sort of either – liked and then kind of didn't like as much or I liked and then wanted to like even more, I guess is probably (laughs) more correct. But I really liked, like you said, when bootstrap bill gets introduced Mm -hmm. and we have Stellan Skarsgård, Skarsgård come in and I'm like, Jesus, this guy like does nothing but work apparently because he's (laughs) he's in everything if I feel like, but um, so he comes in and you know, it's Orlando Bloom's character's dad and all this sort of thing. And, I really liked the introduction of that character. I liked kind of the idea of, you know, this, it gives, it gives Will Turner something to do, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, it gives him a reason to still be there. And I kind of liked that. And then by the end, when we have, they have sort of a, a big scene towards the end with the two of them. And I thought that was really flat. Like I thought that didn't work at all. And I was really kind of like, Oh man, like, come on, you two. Like, for why, why is this not working better? You know, that, that's kind of like the way that I ended up with the two of them at the end of this film. I was like, ah, it just felt like a, it missed a little bit. And so that was one thing that was, that was kind of disappointing. But most of this was overwhelmed in a positive way by my favorite, my favorite character in this movie, which was Bill Nye's interpretation of Davy Jones. Yes, that's quite a performance, isn't it? <laughs> it's a wonderful performance because I was watching it and I didn't know who it was. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, whoever this is, is just loving this. He's just having a ton of fun. And we talked about that last last time with uh, Barbosa, and about how much fun it was clear that he was having mm-hmm. in, in in the film. And, and the same sort of thing with Bill Nye here. And I liked the fact that, first of all, the the CGI looked great. I was really surprised at how good he looked continually. Yeah, I think there's only one movie that has topped Dead Man's Chest for character animation in a live-action setting, and that's Last Summer's War for the Planet of the Apes. Mm. I think that the other two Planet of the Apes movies in this cycle 
they they got close. The you know they were they were lauded for their CGI, but I don't think they really perfected it until this last one to the point where you don't even think about it anymore. Like th- those are apes on the screen. Hmm. And before that, I think this was the gold standard for CGI for motion capture characters. Well, that's they, per- they look I mean, amazing. That's, yeah, that's pretty good for 12 years ago now. Yes, exactly. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, think of the, about the advances in 12 years that they've had in CGI. But but yeah, he looks amazing in this movie. And I don't know if it. I didn't know. And this was the the best part about it for me is besides the actual performing, but I I couldn't tell if part of it was like uh if it was a physical thing that they created and then they're animated just part of the the little arms or mm-hmm. if it was all CGI like I I kept going back and forth as to what it was and that made me think a little bit of Jurassic Park and mm. those sorts of things where I'm like holy shit like what is what is it what is real what did they build and what is in the computer because I can't tell and that's what I felt watching this. And the really shocking thing is that it's all CGI, what you see in the finished product. Hmm. They crazy. had him put on makeup, just very minimal makeup for his mouth and his eyes, that they thought they would maybe use that. But they they say over and over again in the documentary features that they didn't end up using any of that. That was all just reference. Hmm. So every time you see... uh davy jones on screen it is a completely cgi creation that's crazy yeah it's it there are scenes where it straight up looks like a guy in makeup and hmm. still uh, yeah like you said 12 years later well <laughs> and i think the the scene that that really did it for me I, I believe it's when he's sleeping and will's trying to get some keys out of his uh, mm-hmm. arms or something it was that one in particular to where i was sitting there and you know i'm in my late thirties and I'm sitting there like leaning forward going, Holy, holy shit. Because I was like, <laughs> Davy Jones is sort of a, uh, for the characters in this, in this story, he's an intimidating character in this movie. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, Oh, holy shit. Like he's going to get caught. You know, he's going to get found out. And the way that he was the, just the general design and then the way that he was performed, he was a dangerous person. And I really was just kind of fascinated with that little sequence. And I thought that that was really, really effective. And and that kind of, you know, I think that if you had to have both Bill Nighy's sort of gusto with his performance, as well mm-hmm. as how good the CGI was, was done, or else it wouldn't have worked. I think it, it has to be the two of them together. Yeah, and I think this proves, I get kind of uh, frustrated with Andy Serkis, I mean, I can't blame him for kind of reveling in the glory every time a movie comes out. People are like, oh my God, Andy Serkis is so great. He's the best mocap <laughs> actor. He's, why, you know, when are we finally going to nominate him for an Oscar? And it's like, well, but he's not the only one giving that performance. Right. And I know you can't say, well, you, you can't list all the 25 animators that worked on <laughs> Caesar the, the ape every time you talk about how great Andy Serkis's performance is, but. I, this pro- this performance here proves it. I mean, yeah, Bill Nighy is great, but mm-hmm. and you can't do it without him. And his presence is palpable, even though he's literally not on the screen. But he's literally not on the screen. So you know, ILM, whoever the animators are that worked on this, they're just as important to this performance as Bill Nighy is. Mm-hmm. So 
Yeah. And that's like, you know, that's still a frontier that we're still very early in this, in this whole genre of acting. Mm-hmm. Cause that's what it is. It's a whole new, it's a whole new genre, a whole new tool, a whole new whatever of acting. This, uh, you know, computer assisted acting basically. And, and who does get the credit? Um, yeah, so well, know, it's, but it I know strikes it's, me, it strikes me as having to almost revert to the stage. To where you're just like, hey, I'm just going to, I'm going to be big and here's my interpretation and you guys kind of do you because there's no point in, in having the character be real naturalistic, I wouldn't think. Oh, no. Yeah, not at all. You know, and so you're just like, no, be big, go like you're reaching that person in the back row because otherwise what's the point of you being CGI? Yeah, and I wonder what's what's harder for actors if you have to do a role like Davy Jones, where most of your scene partners are, you know, in costume and on location, and you're standing there in gray pajamas with reflector <laughs> tape all over you. Yeah. Or if it's harder to do like Avatar, where everybody is just in like you know a, a soundstage full of like gymnastics equipment. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh yeah, this this pommel horse here, that's like you know a hill mm-hmm. <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. Like, yeah. you've seen the footage of how they filmed Avatar. I mean, that's what it looks like. It looks like they're in a gymnastics gym. Mm-hmm. So I wonder what's harder for an actor. I would think that that it's probably better how Dead Man's Chest was to be on set with a bunch of people, even though you're looking ludicrous. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and if if people want a, a really nice and fairly recent picture of someone looking ridiculous, is uh, look at the uh, look at the uh, Beauty and the Beast. Uh, <laughs> what old Belle had to walk down those stairs with <laughs> and stuff like that. I mean, there's there's a bunch of footage of that, and I showed that to my daughter, and she's like, "How could she be serious walking down with him looking like that?" Yeah, see, that's yeah, that's the that's the, where it becomes harder for the other people in the scene. Yeah, really. I don't I don't know how Dan, how it's hard for Dan Stevens, but for Emma Watson, good lord. Yeah, she's got a emote next to a dude wearing, you know, he looks like he's in Blue Man Group, except he's gray. <laughs> so that's pretty that's pretty ridiculous. So uh, one of the things that is, I don't know if it was surprising to me, but you mentioned that you didn't particularly care for was the Kraken stuff. Right, just because it was fairly repetitive and it and it comes up a few times, you know. Well, I don't. I I enjoy the. I don't. I don't mind the device of the Kraken, mm-hmm. but I think that particularly a little more than halfway through the film, when there's like it feels like a half an hour that the Kraken is destroying their ship. <laughs> I guess. Okay, sure. Yeah. I I guess that, you know after the first movie. I just don't need to see that kind of shipbound stuff. It's just all kind of, and you think, well, it's a pirate movie. You're going to have that in it, but yes, that's true. But when the the rest of the movie has had, you know, running across rope bridges on a cannibal island, it's like, no, give me more of that. Mm. Give me more really, really neat stuff to look at instead of just people running around a ship. I guess instead of a bunch <laughs> of quick cuts and things exploding. Yes, exactly. That's funny. And and I think for the re- I I actually liked that sequence and I think the reason why is um I think it had a nice sense of inevitability about it. Mm. And I think sometimes when you have a really long sequence where something um 
you have like a big long action sequence and you have a pretty good idea that the heroes are going to get away or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think what I liked here is once the Kraken comes up, it's like, oh shit, well they're done. You know, there, <laughs> there's no, there's no getting out, you know, whenever it would show up. And I like that. And that's always been a favorite of mine for just a regular, for just like a, a villain trope, just like the unbeatable, mm-hmm. like don't even bother trying because you're not getting away kind of a mm-hmm. kind of a force of a uh, force of nature kind of thing and so i liked that uh and i didn't i guess if i would have seen this movie for more than just the first time like more than you know the, just this first time watching it if i would have if i would go back and watch it again those parts i could see where i'm like okay here's all of the here's all of the fake wood blowing up all over <laughs> yes you know what i mean here's yeah. here's more people just getting uh, pulled up by strings and whatever. Um, so I guess I could see that if I were to have watched it again, but for just a, a, a first time watch sort of a situation, I kind of liked that because of the sort of inevitable, uh, destruction of the, of the ships and, and we have the heroes mm-hmm. and it's like, well, how the hell, like, what are they going to do? How are they going to get away? And we had the, for me, surprising because I didn't know anything about Dead Man's Chest or the rest of the films. Mm-hmm. And we have the whole sacrificing Jack sacrificing himself at the end, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Whoa, wait a minute, what?" <laughs> <laughs> and, and so then I was like, "Oh man, they better not have some dumb thing where he comes like, you know, he blows up the Kraken from the in from the stomach of it, and then oh, he survives yeah. like you see all the time now." And then that didn't happen, and I was like, "Huh? Well, I'll be damned." <laughs> I was like, "Well, that's something." I was like, "I kind of like that." Um, yeah, it's it's very much this movie's uh, Han Solo gets put in carbonite moment. <laughs> Which we just got done, uh, uh, my daughter and I just got done watching that not too long Excellent. ago. Excellent. Yeah, and she, and she like didn't even care about that. She goes, she's like, well, he's still alive. He's just frozen. It's fine. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> he's just frozen. Like, what the hell? Just frozen. That's a no big deal apparently in 2018. <laughs> yeah, he's just frozen. It's fine. Uh, but boy, she did not like the whole time she was, uh, sitting there going, Oh, I just hate Darth Vader. I just can't stand <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> him. Just the whole time. She's like, I just don't like him at all. And I was like, Oh, okay. And then we so have, then how did she take the big twist? Yeah. We have the big reveal. <laughs> we have the big reveal and she goes, Whoa, wait. <laughs> and then she's like, Hey, um, here, pause. Can you pause it? And I was like, sure. <laughs> and she goes, Well, is he being serious? Is that his dad? And I said, yeah. And she goes, hmm. And sits there for a while. She goes, wow, his dad has problems. <laughs> <laughs> and so I wrote that down and I put, I put that on a post on Instagram to where, <laughs> cause I could, I knew I was going to want to use that at some point and I had to remember exactly what she said. And so she's just still, you know, it wasn't like a, she didn't react like Luke where it was like a big cry. It was like a, damn he's, mm-hmm. he's messed up <laughs> so and we have the third one that we'll watch uh soon enough and then we'll we'll get the end of that i don't know what she's gonna think about uh the whole leia stuff because she got a big kick out of uh leia kissing luke oh <laughs> and she's like huh see she doesn't like him she likes that other boy okay <laughs> We'll yeah, see. she's gonna deal with that, and then with the with the fact that Obi Wan was lying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Uh, 
We'll see how that goes. We'll see how that goes over. So anyway, so um, speaking of her, though, she really enjoyed this one as well. Uh, we did stop it halfway through because she was getting a little antsy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she got up and kind of, you know, shook out the cobwebs a little bit. And then, and, but she really enjoyed it. And she, uh, she was really scared of the Kraken. She didn't, she was scared of it in a good way. Yeah. You know, and so she, that worked pretty well on her. So, you know, good for them. And she really liked Davy Jones as well. And uh, so, I mean, we really had a good time with it. And then, uh, thank you, Mr. Stanglin. But once we have our uh, very end reveal, of the the new captain, yes, and and so we have Barbosa come down, and she had her her little jaw on the floor and was like, "What? Why would he be helping them?" And so she's like, "When are we going to watch the next one?" I was like, "We can watch it tomorrow." And she's like, "Yay!" So so she was definitely a fan. Uh, so Pirates of the Caribbean: Dead Man's Chest was a success, I believe. All the way around. So, so did you, did either of you catch the setup for Barbosa's appearance at the end? No. When they are first visiting Tia Dalma, you can see his body laying on the floor in another room. Oh, is that right? And I forget who notices it. It's a quick shot. I forget if it's Jack or Will, but one of them sees it. Like, you can just see it from, like, the waist down. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Is that something that you're supposed to catch, or is that just a like a little extra? Well, I mean, it's think. in. I mean, it's in the movie, so it's. You're, you're, I think you're supposed to. You know, it's not like it's a deleted scene. I think you're supposed uh-huh. to uh, take note of well, what the hell's going on back there. Hmm. <laughs> but I don't know if you could identify it as Barbosa. Okay. Okay. Well, is there anything else about uh, Dead Man's Chest before we move on to our second film today? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay, so our second film comes out the next year, because these were filmed together, yes? Yes. Okay, our second film, it is the third of these, as you might guess. It is Pirates of the Caribbean <laughs> at World's End. you be willing to do? Would you breathe the weird and haunted shores at world's end to fetch back witty Jack? Did no one come to save me just because they missed me? <laughs> there was a time but a pirate was free to make his own way in the world. But our time is coming to an end. Why should I sail with any of you? Four of you have tried to kill me in the past. One of you succeeded. Our enemies have united and vowed to destroy us. You will fight and all of you will die. The pirate lords from the four corners of the earth, welcome to Singapore, must stand together. There's not been a gathering like this in our lifetime. And I owe them all money. It would never have worked out between us. Keep telling yourself that, darling. They know they face extinction. All that remains is where they make their final stand. (laughs) 
if I wasn't, this would probably never work. And the IMDb plot synopsis for this one is a little lengthier, and it goes like this. After Elizabeth, Will, and Captain Barbosa rescued Captain Jack Sparrow from the, the land of the dead, it says, <laughs> they must face their foes Davy Jones and Lord Cutler Beckett. Beckett, now with control of Jones's heart, forms a dark alliance with him in order to rule the seas and wipe out the last of the pirates. Now Jack, Barbosa, Will, Elizabeth, Tia Dalma, and crew must call the pirate lords from the four corners of the globe, including the infamous Sao Fang, to gathering. The pirate lords want to release the goddess Calypso, Davy Jones's damned lover, from the trap they set. They sent her to out of fear. They sent her <laughs> to out of fear, in which the pirate lords must combine the nine pieces that bound her by ritual to undo it and release her in the hopes that she will help them fight. With this, all pirates will stand together and make their final stand for freedom against Beckett, Jones, Norrington, the Flying Dutchman, and the entire East India Trading Company. Sean, I have no idea what that means. Yes, and that's the main problem with At World's End is that it, <laughs> at any given point of the movie, you have no idea what's going on. Yes. So here, before we get into it, here's what my notes go like. So I, I've got some pretty good handwriting. I've got some, oh, I'm starting to get drunk kind of handwriting. I've got some, hmm, I'm not so sure what this is. And then at the end, I put, I am lost. <laughs> that was the last thing I wrote. <laughs> So, this is the third film. This is, like we said, this uh, came out the next year. This was, once again, obviously, directed by Gore Verbinski. And tell me what you thought about this one. Well, I, I enjoyed that we finally found out that Jabba's Palace is in Singapore. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's a good, like, that's a good confirmation. I, I, you know, you, you can't really get past the Empire Strikes Back like ending of the of this one, and then literally starting like Return of the Jedi. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's 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 the same beginning. It's really funny. <laughs> um, and it's it also is uh, another. You know, they have that little throwaway joke about Singapore in the first movie, and now here we are spending the first half hour in Singapore, mm -hmm. and uh, which uh, looks like the most disgusting place on earth. Oh man! Uh, which um, you know. There's there's some interesting portrayals of some island natives in the second movie, and there's some quote unquote interesting portrayals of Asian characters in this movie. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and it kind of rides the line of well, we're kind of making fun of the tropes of old time movies, but we're also indulging in the tropes of old time movies. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I'm smart enough or uh, <laughs> eloquent enough to hash all that out right now. Uh, <laughs> But uh, it's definitely noticeable in this one, especially mm -hmm. when you've got the one guard, the, the one South Fang guard who's leering at Elizabeth the whole time and is like, oh, take your clothes off, please. I'm yeah, like, really? really? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, but, um, I, I thought that the opening of this was really fun with the song. Yes. I really like that. The song, which is not, that's, again, this is a song that was written for the movie by Hans Zimmer. This is not from the theme park ride at all. So it's like a, the, these movies get farther and farther away from the original source material 
um, as we get to the end of the third one. But this one does contain the most um, concrete reference to the theme park. When they go, when they go over the edge of the world. Oh yes, and Jeffrey Rush, his line, right? Yeah, well, he has a line, but then also as the ship is tumbling into the abyss, you actually hear audio from the ride, mm, which is okay. interesting. It, it's like it makes no sense. It's just there to make Disneyland nerds go, "Hey, there it is, finally!" <laughs> <laughs> like I was when I, I was going to say, reading, I was going to say, did you do that when you were in the theater? Uh, probably. (laughs) 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 Like when I had read about the production of this third one and I knew that they were doing this King's court or brethren court, I'm like, that's where they can do it. They can have all the old timey pirates do a sing along of the song from the ride, but they never did that. That's what I was hoping for. (laughs) There you go. But yeah, that was something that I thought was effective was it is the song. And what I really liked about that song was I thought that it set the tone, I thought the tone was set kind of at the beginning of being a little less silly than the f- second one. <laughs> yes. Right? Well, yeah, it starts with hanging a child, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, oh, okay, this is this is taking all of the, the sort of whimsy out. And mm-hmm. I was like, hmm, I don't know. Because I looked at the runtime and I was like, wait, this is two hours and 50 minutes. <laughs> it's It's starting off a little bleak. And, uh, and so, but I, I thought that one of the things again that about that song that I liked so much is, uh, I put down to obviously ask you if that was from the Mm -hmm. ride because, uh, it felt very much like it could have been. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was what was so good about it where it seems like it fits completely in the world. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, okay, this, I wonder if this is an actual thing from the song or, or from the ride or they just wrote this. So. So I really particular I really liked that. Uh I think that the Barbosa Turner Swan group is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Like I really liked them when they're kind of just adventuring, you know, and they're just kind of together and none nobody really trusts anybody, and I like that part at this stage, like at the beginning, where it's it's pretty clear as to who's good, who's bad, or in that, you know, in the perspective that we're given. And I like I, I kind of like the that little that little uh, the crew that we're that we're with. Yeah, and I think it's good that that works because this movie is has the least Jack Sparrow in it, and I think that that's fine. I don't feel like I need more Jack Sparrow in this movie. Well, let's talk about Jack Sparrow. So he's the most Jack Sparrow <laughs> that ever Jack Sparrowed in his in his bit with the crab rocks and all of that, mm-hmm. right? Because this is like, hey, Johnny, just do whatever you feel like, buddy. Just fucking go for it. And <laughs> we'll just film whatever. Because he's in this, you know, he's in the soulscape or whatever they end up calling it. I wrote mm-hmm. down soulscape. I don't think that's something I would just write on my own. But um, <laughs> he just was, it was just very much like, okay, now I know what Depp is going to just do for all time as mm-hmm. captain jack and it was just that and that at its at its essence it was like just pure johnny depp being johnny depp yeah in, i feel like those bits. I, don't, I don't think that sequence specifically references anything by terry gilliam mm-hmm. but it sure feels like <laughs> uh, yeah. it belongs in a terry gilliam movie it does it, it is very much like let's just be weird and nothing means anything yeah and, and i mean you know, God bless if someone's like, well, this is symbolizing blah, blah, blah. 
But for me, <laughs> nothing nothing meant anything to me in that. And I'm usually one who enjoys trying to sift through and what does it all mean and that kind of stuff. And right. What are, and what are the references? But I was here. I was like, no, it's just Johnny Depp being a weirdo, and he's just. Uh, you know, he's he's basically being Edward Scissorhands with just different costume. <laughs> yeah, I mean, doing. to me, it's just like Gore Verbinski and the writers and Johnny Depp were all like, "Well, we got this far. They've given us they've given us all this money. They like how weird we went in the first movie. Let's show them just how weird we can be." <laughs> yeah, and I mean, <laughs> which seems to be the it seems to be the the guiding light of the entire third movie. Really, <laughs> let's see how weird we can go. Yes. <laughs> and so what I, I don't necessarily, uh, like I didn't mean to, I don't, I hope I didn't come off as like, I hated that, that bit. It was just like, whoa, this is a lot of this one note of this one thing of yes. him, him acting this way. Uh, Anna did not get this or like this whatsoever, this bit. She is like, she just said, this is super weird. I don't get it. Yeah. And, it's an awfully big risk to take in. In a four hundred million dollar children's movie, <laughs> yeah. So she was kind of like, well, "Hmm." She kind of looked at me like, "What is? What is this? Like, what is it? What is he doing?" Although you know, when the little crabs are moving around, she's like, "Oh, look at that!" You know. So I mean, it was. It, I think it still had enough of that um, strange, strange item moving around to where it was kind of <laughs> like the kids were like, "Oh, weird! What? What's that? What mm-hmm. is that doing?" Or why is he pulling the whole ship, you know, and that kind of stuff. Right. And so I think it worked enough, but it wasn't super good for me. I thought that one of the things that really did work well for me is I really liked the whole upside down stuff. Yes, that is a stunning sequence. Yeah, I thought that was great. And I was like, this is the, um, this is like the moment for me in, in this film was the upside down stuff. And I know that. That visually, I'm sure they took a lot of time for that whole ending battle sequence and mm-hmm. spinning around uh, the center and all that kind of stuff. But for me, it was the it was the upside down that really made it, uh, at least for that 30 minutes of a fight scene, of which we have like five, I feel like. And I think um, that sequence owes a lot to Mr. Zimmer. I mean, this whole movie, especially this third one. Is, I think it's it's one of my favorite Hans Zimmer scores, particularly this third movie. Mm. It's the most melodic of the three. It takes the most chances. Um, I like where they even get into some like Western kind of stuff at the end, where they have that standoff on the little key at the end. Oh, sure, yeah. And um, I just – if you go see Hans Zimmer live in concert, which probably almost nobody is going to listen to this, but if you <laughs> listen to the – if you listen to the Hans Zimmer live album – and you get to the Pirates of the Caribbean stuff, almost all of it from this 12-minute suite is from this movie. Mm. Interesting. So I really, the music is really a standout and helps make this movie better than it should be. Hmm. So what do, you, what do you think of this one overall, then, compared to our first two that we've talked about? Well, it's more of a curiosity, I guess. I, I enjoy it a lot. I've seen two and three more than the first one, for sure. Um, and I will, if two or three are on TV, I will stop everything basically and watch them. No matter, you know, if I'm just sitting around on a Saturday afternoon and one of these movies is on, that's it. That's what I'm watching. Hmm. Um, but I mean, like, I can't unpack the politics of this. <laughs> <laughs> like at the end when we're, we're all rooting for these pirates, I'm like, but 
why? Like, why does Elizabeth want to be king of the pirates? I don't like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> none of it really makes any sense except that they had they you know they, they just took the story to its most extreme conclusion. I can't unpack what any of it is supposed to mean, if anything. <laughs> <laughs> I know yeah. that it, it's. I, I mostly regard this third one as as I can't believe they fucking made this movie with all that money. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's really funny because I'm I'm guessing that they don't go through each scene and say, okay, what are each of our characters' motivations? What is it that they're hoping to get? <laughs> I don't think that that happened because here it's kind of like. Well, uh, we got them on this set together. I mean, I, maybe fucking Elizabeth wants to be in charge. Who knows? Yes. Like, All right. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Like, like what, this what has the hell to be else one of those is Kara, <laughs> what's Kara going to do if she's not in charge? Uh, if I can make her in charge, then let's do it. Uh, yeah. This has to be one of those movies where the writers were on set rewriting everything like minutes before they shot it. It just has to be. Yeah, it has to be. And it, I it, saw a defense when this first came out. Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio gave an interview. I can't remember to whom, but I know I, I remember this interview because I quoted it in my review of the movie uh, where they said, you know, P- TV shows like Lost are doing these big, complicated narratives and they're getting Uh-oh. praised for it. But we do it in a pirates movie and everybody think, thinks it's terrible. I'm like, no, 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 no. Hold on a second. <laughs> exactly. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. First of all, I don't care what any, and this is well known for anyone that knows our history, but I don't, I don't really like how whenever anything is, is more than just completely straightforward, everyone's like, well, Lost did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, but then everyone that's not in the industry is like, well, the ending of Lost was stupid. Uh-huh. It's like, wait a minute. So everyone in the industry is like, well, Lost pulled this shit off. Why can't we pull it off? And then the audience <laughs> is like, well, that was dumb. You know what? You're dumb. <laughs> oh yeah, you're dumb. That's right. That's what I have to say about that. I I just think that that's ridiculous. I mean, one thing you you've got hundreds of hours of TV, and the other yes. one is almost three hours. So, come on, guys. I mean, there's a part in this of this movie where uh, Sparrow is talking to Cutler Beckett. At mm-hmm. the same time, there's some business going on in the on the other ship. And mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone could tell you what, what happens in that 10 minute stretch of the film. <laughs> Cause it's like, there's like four double crosses in 10 minutes. Oh. And you're... I've seen it. I've seen it like 10 times and I still don't know what the hell happens in that. You're part. reading my notes. I put, uh, <laughs> holy convoluted horseshit. Yeah. And then I put, oh man, this middle section. I go, this is not good. I go, we have too much crisscrossing of plot. Yes. Uh, I think that. Once again, it looks great, Mm -hmm. right? I don't think there's any arguing that. I think it looks good. I think everyone is pretty sure on what they're doing, right? You mean the actors? Yes, the actors. Yeah. I say pretty sure because what the fuck happened to Davy Jones's character? (laughs) Well, And I I say that because the second one, it's like he is the boss. Like he mm -hmm. is the one to fear, right? He's got the Kraken. He's got, uh, you know, he's got all this, sh- he's, he's got all this power, it seems. I'll say it that way. Um, and then this third one, he's just kind of like, uh, just a, like a lieutenant. 
or yes. something instead of being in charge. And I'm like, well, wait, that like completely just severs all of the the sort of awe I had for him in the second movie. Well, yeah, and they they try to make Cutler Beckett the big bad, and Tom Hollander gives it his all. Mm-hmm. I can't. I mean, I think that guy's a really good actor. I like him every time I see him, but. I mean, he doesn't quite cut it as your big bad after you've had Bill Nye for a movie, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I have to, I just have to assume, I mean, I haven't done any comparisons, but I assume that Davy Jones' screen time in this third one is exponentially smaller than the second one. Oh, abs- I would have to, I mean, we watched these pretty close together and yeah. he, he seemed like he was barely in it. And when he was in it, he didn't have near the presence that he did. Yes. So if you, you have to if you sideline Davy Jones and you sideline the Kraken basically in one line of dialogue. Oh yeah, the Kraken's dead. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, you have to look at this whole movie and you look at that last thirty minutes where where they're in the whirlpool and think, well, yeah, Davy Jones had to be written out of the movie because they couldn't afford it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, really. Uh, and so we, you know, the other thing was we didn't really talk about, uh, and maybe that's for a reason, but we haven't really talked about Norrington that much. And yeah, that's the most disappointing thing about these two movies is how he, I think he's, he's a very strong presence in the first movie. And I, I like the, it's another actor I like, Jack Davenport, and he, his character goes nowhere. Yeah. And he, I thought that it was interesting of having him, you know, be around still in these two and kind of be, at his rock bottom, at his lowest mm-hmm. point, and and he's going to use these people to get his redemption and all this sort of stuff. But it, he just doesn't have enough time for that to mean anything. No, and it, it is a bit of a gut punch that they kill him in the third movie, but mm-hmm. I feel like it could have been handled even better. It could have been handled a lot better than that. Yeah, but it like, just seems it just, just seemed so like characters. Exactly. He was, you know, he was as much as like Rigetti or somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, he was just kind of like, oh, yeah, he's there. But his importance with the rest of the cast was way, way more than than those little uh, side characters. Yeah. So it was weird. It's like his his time on screen wasn't uh, kind of like first bill, but his importance to the other characters was. So, yeah. And I and I wonder if there's more of him in the scripts and and they were, you know, I mean, I can't even imagine how long the script for these for the second and third movie was originally uh, yeah because <laughs> if this is how long it is in, in its final form <laughs> hmm. yeah who knows especially if they're just you know they're like well it could be not all the way complete by the time that they started shooting right exactly or you know, you know and how much of it was retinkered and well you can't do this because we spent x amount of money on this and mm-hmm Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, but just the fact that these movies exist <laughs> in some kind of coherent form, when you consider all the things that had to happen for these movies to come together, they're really amazing. I think these, the second and third movie, especially the Whirlpool sequence, if you watch the, there's an amazing thing on the Blu-ray with the Whirlpool sequence where it's not just a documentary. They have, they have, it starts with a landing screen of the set that they built for those two ships and you can click on any part of the set to see how they, how they pulled off and built this one part of the sequence. Hmm. It's they, they filmed two ships on gimbals on like the largest gimbals ever constructed inside airplane hangar. 
on a blue screen set and they had rain, you know, they had rain towers inside an airplane hangar going for hours a day. I mean, it, it's amazing. It's, it's a kind of, nobody will ever shoot a sequence like that ever again. It's, I love that when, when you can see something in a movie that was done a way that nobody's ever done it before and never will again, which is, I think the whole, the whole uh, attraction of the original Tron for me too, where it's like mm. nobody will ever make a movie like that ever again. Mm-hmm. Huh. I'll have, to, I'll have to check that out because I'm interested to see that because, you know, I saw the Whirlpool, Whirlpool and when I see something that's that big, I always think like, okay, is this all just everyone's <laughs> hanging out on an, a few green steps or what are we doing? Yeah. You know? And so to see that sort of uh, be, have some practicality to it, I think would be really interesting. Yeah. And it, it they, you know, they full size ships. And mm. the actors, the actors in full costume with the rain towers going and, and full weaponry and everything. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, it is awesome. <laughs> huh. So one of the things that I wished was more awesome, there's a transition, is <laughs> I wished the whole Calypso stuff would have meant anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, we have the Bill Knight and I just was, I guess I was just so upset by the way. I was so, on board with the Bill Nye, Davy Jones stuff. Mm-hmm. And then in the third one where I'm like, oh, okay, holy shit. This is the reason he is why he is. And it's this sort of, it's like a, a pirate's version of like a femme fatale almost. Where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, she's the bad one. And he knows that she's bad for him. But he, that, that doesn't matter and all this kind of stuff. And she turns into like the Calypso thing and she just gets really big. And I was like, well, okay. You know, and I just was kind of like, huh, damn, I wish that would have done more. All right. You know, and it's, it's one of those where it's like, I didn't necessarily want the movie to be three and a half hours long, but I just felt like for that being such a, for him being such a big character in the second film, his sort of arc just kind of got cut off at the neck. Yeah. There's third movie. There's two seasons of television worth of narrative in these two movies. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, and what's interesting about that comment is uh, Rachel and I, for our, the regular show, this will um, the people will already hear this by the or already know this by the time they hear this. But uh, we are talking about movies that almost worked, kind of mm-hmm. like what you and I have done with uh, Prometheus and Sunshine and the like. But we're talking about movies that almost worked and then we're rewriting part of it and kind of suggesting what we think should have happened instead. Mm -hmm. And one of the movies that we took on was the, uh, was the, uh, the Justin Timberlake science fiction movie in time. And I don't know if you've seen that movie or not. I have not. Oh, okay. So one of the things that we mentioned in there was this would work so well as like a 10 to 12 part netflix series because there's mm-hmm. so much story packed into this two hours to where none of it gets the time that it, it deserves and there none of the choices make any sense <laughs> and it just kind of completely falls apart and justin timberlake's terrible as a leading man <laughs> by the way and we decided if it was uh we would have went with michael b jordan is who we wanted as the as the main guy the uh the young man from the wire and from uh black panther and from uh fruitvale station and fantastic four and several other movies creed 
He's also in Creed. So that's who we decided. But but anyway, that's what that made me think of was this could have been movie three, four, and five. Yeah, it really could have been. Instead of just movie three. <laughs> so I don't know. So that that was that was the thing where it's like, I get it. You don't know, you know, Gore Verbinski's doing three movies. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's gonna just kind of do everything he wants to do in this third film. And he's going to try to wrap it up, I guess. Well, yeah, I mean, this third movie, you have to think there was kind of an attitude on his part. You know, if none of this works, if the second movie doesn't work and nobody goes to see it, then after the third movie, I'm never going to work again. Mm. So I might as well swing for the fucking fences. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is what he, I mean, I I think Gore Verbinski is one of the most interesting filmmakers because he takes these very strange jobs. And he makes even stranger movies out of that. Like the Lone Ranger movie is deeply weird. And, uh, I think a much better movie than people give it credit for. Um, mostly because of him. Um, but he does like, but like Rango, like, <laughs> like he does all these weird things. A Cure for Wellness. Cure for Wellness is one of the best movies of 2017 and nobody saw it. Uh, it's a great movie, but, um, but yeah, he's just, Swinging for the fences, man. And I love it. I, you know, it's this movie, this third pirates movie is kind of like the Disney equivalent of like Jupiter ascending or <laughs> <laughs> let's just cram as much weird shit as we can. If they gave us all this money. Yeah. But people actually <laughs> saw this movie though. Sean. Yes, they did. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that a lot of people saw uh Channing Tatum as part dog. Yeah. Maybe on HBO they did. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> we went and saw it and we reviewed it for people that want to hear us talk about that. That's right. Yeah, it was interesting. It was uh it was a little bit of a miss for me, but you know. Um so one of the other things and I think this is probably well established at this point, but I put uh, close to 2 hours and I'm not 100% sure what the main point is mm. or what's going on really. <laughs> and and it was kind of like, you know, I have the reputation at least with rachel and with my wife of not just being able just to sit and watch a movie is Mm. i have to sort of know like what's going on what the motivations are if there's some sort of twist i have to try to figure it out and so this one i think with my uh drug addled mind (laughs) towards the end of this i was like i don't i don't know what's going on i don't i don't care just (laughs) Fucking bring me the whirlpool, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it was just kind of like, I am i don't want to try to make sense of what's happening. Just wash over me, movie. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of, that was kind of freeing, actually. It was kind of nice just to be like, you know what? That looks fucking awesome. And I ain't going to worry about <laughs> if it makes no sense or not. And that's kind of, that's kind of where I was at at the end of it, though. You know? It's so. just such a long road to get there. <laughs> it really is. And it it, really uh, is. this is a movie that felt when I, I saw this the first two nights it was out in theaters, I saw it both nights. Hmm. And that second night, man, I was like, oh God, we still have a, how much to go in this? Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They, they are spectacular movies to look at, these first three, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's enough. And how, how big of a TV are you watching this on? Uh, we have like, uh, I want to say it's like a, uh, it's like a 50 something. Yeah. It's not, I mean, it's definitely not the same experience as if we would have went to the theater. 
No, but it's better. I'm, you know, we have a 37 inch TV, which okay. is not even a size you can buy anymore. <laughs> it's like 30. <laughs> nobody even wants a TV that small anymore. It's like so a bedroom. It's like a little bedroom TV now, right? And that was yeah, the, exactly. that's like their classification. So, yeah. So I know, you know, when we move, which is probably going to be this year, I know I'm going to want to get a big TV for the new place. Mm-hmm. And I've already kind of been making mental notes of movies I want to watch when we get a much larger TV. And this is one of them. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's, a, I mean, that's a definite, that's definitely a good way to, you know, you go and you start doing your research on different uh, surround sound systems mm-hmm. and you start looking at movies like this one yep. and seeing like, okay, so how did this play on a surround sound? Because, you know, you can you can check out different sites and it tells you, oh, we watched this movie and it did this, this, this. Right. And that kind of thing. And that's, that's sort of neat. I'm also in that same sort of situation with our basement, which... Um, as of recording, I just accepted a different teaching position. So I'll be able to finish my basement off. And so the, this year's project is making a, a surround sound and TV area. And then also on the opposite side of, on the opposite sides of the stairs, making uh, like a little mini library. Nice. And, and so, the paralyzing part is, oh, okay, so I'm going to put this TV, and it's probably going to be about this size. Okay, well, I need to get the money for that. And, what? well, what kind of surround sound do I want? Do I want one that's an actual in-the-wall one? Or do I, you know, and it's that's kind of the pain in the ass of, hmm, how can I spend all this money that I don't have? And <laughs> how serious do I want to get about spending all this money do I, that I don't have? And then, um, you know, what movie am I going to watch first and all of that kind of thing. And so that's all like fun problems to have. And I think Mm -hmm. a movie like this is a good one for let's just put a movie in. Let's just turn it up loud and Mm -hmm. see what all of this shit can do. Yeah, I wonder. I haven't been in a Best Buy in years because I hate going to Best Buys. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I wonder what movie they're using these days to show off the TVs or if they all have that kind of in-house they don't they don't do that anymore really do they 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 probably have like a loop of stuff that's like here's a movie here's part of a movie here's part of a football game yeah I think but it's I know probably Dead Man's like chest, Dead Man's Chest for a while was the movie that was on at every Best Buy <laughs> mm. Yeah I know that they have a lot of those loops at, at like your targets when I used to work there where it was mm-hmm. uh it would diff- it would have different like your sound bar or whatever would play different uh pre-made clips that were in there. Right. Uh, but yeah the, <laughs> those those little home theater things that was the only part about going to Best Buy that was fun was you go in there and you push the big ass button and you'd be like holy <laughs> shit this is loud. That'd be awesome and my you know at that time it was like my parents would never go for this. I remember when we've got a Circuit City here for the first time. That was the first store I had seen that had a dedicated room to, like, a surround sound system. Mm-hmm. And they always had Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade on. Oh, that's really funny. <laughs> so there would be times where i go to Circuit City and just sit down and watch Indy for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny. You know what? Like I uh, had mentioned to you while you were taking your little nappy nap, I was watching that first half hour of Temple of Doom, and I had no recollection of it whatsoever. That's so wonderful to to be able to see a movie like that 
for the first time in a long time, like, hey, I don't remember any of this. Yeah, because, like, <laughs> the only time I remember it is when they get to the actual temple mm-hmm. and they start having the dinner and all that stuff. It's, for like, from that point on, I've seen a hundred times, I feel like. But I just don't remember that beginning bit at all. That, that is weird how there's certain movies where, no, you know, they show on TV all the time, but you always miss the same parts. That happens mm-hmm. to me all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, strange. So anyway, so that's uh, that's our thoughts on on Pirates Three. Is there anything else that you wanted to say about this uh, this beginning trilogy before we move and switch into different directors and all of that sort of thing? Well, I I just really admire what happened with this terrible idea for a movie, and it turned into three completely crazy movies that shouldn't have made money and shouldn't have been greenlit and shouldn't have had the budgets that they had and it gave us this singular performance that is it's already hollywood legend of course what we think of johnny depp in the long term has yet to be ter- yet to be determined um there's quite a bit of controversy going on right now about him playing the lead in the fantastic beasts sequel mm-hmm. because of allegations swirling around him but then you've got this statement from J.K. Rowling that seems to intimate that, well, we've talked to everybody and uh, we're backing Johnny Depp. And it's like J.K. Rowling sticking her neck out for Johnny Depp. Yeah, hmm. bold, bold. Movie. Yeah, so there's a lot, you know, I don't know, I don't know how well these movies are going to age because of that. Maybe they already haven't aged well. They're still playing on TV a lot, the first three. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that the first one still works for a lot of people. And the second and third one, I'm just, I just delight in for how, <laughs> how inexplicable they are. And <laughs> I think the second one is just, the second one is, is a demo disc for, for all time. You want to, you want to check out your new TV, your new sound system, put on the second movie. Hmm. And it's just, it's just a nice movie to look at. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll say that I was, uh, I was surprised because going into this, I kind of thought, okay, I'm going to like, Probably the first one. And I was kind of also thinking, oh shit, if I don't like the first one, this is going to be a rough, uh, mm-hmm. a rough four movies after it. But I kind of thought, all right, I'm going to like the first one. Okay. And then we'll just be kind of hit or miss through the, re- through the next four. And I liked the second one quite a bit. The third one I, I did struggle with, uh, just because of the, the length. Although, you know, with both of the, both of these two movies, I thought there were really, really high points and then points where, it wasn't necessarily low. It was just like, okay, this is dragging on. Like, I just, I don't mm-hmm. know what's going on or I don't care. Or this just seems like it was just a little bit of a labor at times. So I was, uh, I was pleasantly surprised. I think that when I saw these movies coming out, much like, uh, my snobby self does with a lot of things, <laughs> I was like, Oh, I ain't going to watch this pirates movie. Hump, hump, hump. You know, like <laughs> that's not going to win any Oscars. <laughs> because that's obviously the uh, the measure of success is if it wins an Oscar or not. Um, even though it did win Oscars, which so, mm-hmm. you know, that shows me. But um, so, yeah, I was surprised at, at my rec- at my sort of reaction to it. And, and uh, you know, the nine-year-old, she really enjoyed it. And she's asked in the time since we watched them and, and today when we're recording when we're going to get the next disc. And, you know, I told her today that the most recent film is streaming on Netflix. So she's definitely in a hurry for us to get that fourth (laughs) 
disc so she can get the last two watched. So, and I think well, that's ultimately the goal, right? Is that the, you know, the kid wants to watch more of the movies. Well, and that's, that's, uh, that's interesting to hear that a, a nine year old girl is that entranced by these movies, mm-hmm. um, still. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, and maybe speaks to what I was talking about before in the first time where the, the first Pirates plus Return of the King was kind of like my aha moment. Oh, about like, who's oh, going to see nerdy, it, right? Nerdy white dudes aren't the only people who like movies. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. Um, the only other thing I would say, I just thought of this, um, you know, that the ride as we know it still here in America is still very much the old ride from 1967. Mm. Um, they've added, they've added like a digital projection of Davy Jones in one part. They've added animatronic figures of Barbosa and Jack Sparrow. But in Shanghai, Shanghai Disneyland opened two years ago. And they, the only reason that people in China know what Pirates of the Caribbean is, is because of the movie. Mm. So their Pirates of the Caribbean ride is completely different and has a full Davy Jones animatronic figure at his organ. Oh shit. And, and they, it has all these, all these, uh, huge projection screens and effects that have never been seen in a theme park ride before. So if you know the old ride, or you, re- you remember it, you know, and it's still pretty much the same thing, a slow-moving boat going through this town getting sacked by pirates. Go look up the Shanghai Pirates of the Caribbean ride on YouTube, and you'll be like, holy shit. <laughs> uh-huh. It's quite it's quite something. <laughs> I feel like that's, uh, that's some sort of an anniversary destination for you. Well, I don't know. Uh, you'd have to get me on an airplane for long enough to get to Shanghai. That's the big problem. <laughs> that's what it is? Uh, yeah, I can barely stand the flight to LA. So, oh, really? Yeah, I'm not, I don't do well on, it's not that I'm like freaking out, I just can't handle the, uh, the constrained space. Oh, a little claustrophobia jumping in. Yeah, and, well, and, and more than that, just feeling like I can't move because mm-hmm. I don't want to infringe on the other people around me, I guess. <laughs> okay. Huh. I don't know. Well, there you go. <laughs> just go there and, uh, knock you out and then, you know. Hey, there we go. Like Inception. Yeah. I'll just sleep the whole flight. <laughs> just like that. <laughs> yeah, just like that. Then we can have a heist in my brain the whole time. We'll have some sort of situation where the paper will take you. They'll they'll fly you first class, of course. Oh, yeah. That yes. paper money. And, uh, <laughs> that, that suburban newspaper money. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll just get you all sauced up and have you pass out before you go. <laughs> and you'll wake up and you'll have like three hours and you'll be hungover and miserable and it'll be fine. Beautiful. I, I endorse this plan 100%. <laughs> All right. We just need to talk to uh, Mr. Seabrass and get both That's you right. two working on the, uh, the the money aspect of the paper. And <laughs> it'll be fine. All right. So, yes, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, if people have any comments, suggestions, or movies that you'd want to hear us talk about, you can email us at plainlabelpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow the show over at Twitter. Our handle is at plainlabelpod. You can follow me over there. I'm at ericwilliams79. We also have a Facebook page and an Instagram account. Just search for Plain Label Podcast and you will find us. If you wanted to help us out, you could check out our show notes and there you're going to find links to our Amazon wish list. I do want to thank Sean for coming on once again. If people wanted to hear more from you, where would they do that? Check me out on Twitter at Sean Stanglin DH or go to dailyherald.com and search Sean Stanglin and you'll find all my columns, my most recent one. 
uh, giving you 10 episodes of ER you should watch now that that show is on Hulu, which was a major moment of celebration in my in my household. You loved it. You <laughs> I love, love it. ER. One of your I fellow ER. <laughs> one of your fellow workers does not love the ER talk. <laughs> we may have already mentioned him a few moments ago. <laughs> so thank you again, Sean, for coming on, and we'll be back next week with the fourth film in the Pirates of the Caribbean series on Stranger Tides. Directed by Rob Marshall. Of all people. Oh, I just looked that up just now and I couldn't believe it. I was like, wait a minute. The guy that did Chicago? Suddenly I was like, you're not looking forward to that one anymore, are you? It's like Chicago, Memoirs of a Geisha, Nine, and then Pirates of the Caribbean. What? Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. I'm like uh, very intrigued at I don't know if it's good.